Hi, uh, my name's Joey, and I'm running a podcast right now. Please listen. Wet willy. I made sloppy joes tonight. Oh, dang. Look that is sloppy. I know, you should have come over. Hubba hubba. <laughs> And people will think we're crazy. I love it. Let's go. Hanks. Tonks. Hanks. Pumpunks. Pumpunks. Joe Dante. Joe Dante. Okay. Here we go. Yes. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Secret Level. I am your host, Joey Parr. Joining me is the one... And only Bill Thank you and welcome. This week we are going to talk about the 1989 Joe Dante directed horror family comedy, The Burbs. I know we say this every week, but it's because <laughs> we're watching our favorite films. But this is usually one of my favorite comedies. Of all time. And after doing some research, I found out why. It's just it's silly and it's amazing. In preparation for this episode, I watched it twice. What <laughs> nice. Yeah, it doesn't because be because I, I watched it and I'm like, damn, I love this movie. And I watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I it's, it's the only look, person in my house. It's a seen fun it. flick, man. Yeah, it is. Oh, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. And much like Toby Hooper's Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist, The Burbs is set in this suburban world, in the suburban cul-de-sac, following the suburban family, with creepy stuff happening, with satanic neighbors next door. You gotta love satanic neighbors. Of course. Have you ever had a satanic neighbor, Billy? No, no. I had a guy who had a, a train horn on his truck, and whenever he would drink, he would go outside and honk his horn at like 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the closest I've gotten. I met a witch once. I was in Colorado. Okay. And uh, a witch came up to me and told me she placed a curse on me. From out of nowhere, it was very random. That's a true story. Oh, I believe it. I just want to know what the curse was. She didn't say. She just told me, I just want you to know that I put a curse on you. And my friend later on the day was bit by a dog. So that was fun. Oh, so the curse was put on the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. I think she was talking to both of us. Oh. Because we were together right. at the time. But, you know, weird, I mean, weird curses, weird witch curses. Yeah, but you weren't bit by the dog, so you're cool. <laughs> I was not bit by the dog. Yeah, you're all right. Poor guy. He's probably still cursed and we don't even know. Probably. I I actually doubt it. Dan gets bit by all the dogs. Anyway, The Burbs is an important part of my nostalgia of growing up. I love that movie. Yes. Uh, I think at that time, it was perfect for Tom Hanks because he was kind of getting pigeonholed into that, you know... uh, party guy kind of, you know, bachelor party slash man with one red shoe kind of box that they were putting him into. And this kind of broke him out of it because it actually made him yeah, the dad. 
Exactly. And we're going to talk about a little bit more about him taking on the role of a dad later as when we get into this. But yes, I, I just, I think this movie, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think the movie gets quite the love that it deserves from people. I mean, I, it got bad reviews when it first came out, but it did well at the box office. But the critics just did not like it at all. And I don't know why. The movie was so much fun. I don't know how you could not watch this movie and be like, man, that was a fun ride. I enjoyed every minute of that. And the the thing that gets me every time is that Bruce Dern's character in the movie is by far one of my favorite elements of the whole movie. Dude, Bruce Dern is awesome in this film. And yes, he's one of the best parts. And... It might be what, what I love most of Bruce, the films Bruce Stern has been in, but this is my favorite. One of my favorites. This is my absolute favorite. When I was a kid watching this movie, I was like, I want to grow up to be like Bruce Stern's character in this movie. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. He was great. Did you know his character was an arms dealer? Oh, is that what he was? Yeah, he was an arms dealer. I mean, it makes which, sense which now makes that you say sense, it. But it's like, you don't know that in the film. It's kind of it's kind of one of those things that was never mentioned. But yeah, that's what, he, that's, that's what uh, the character's job was in the film. That explains so much is not even funny. Like the wife, his wife, he's got this hot wife that is really out of character. And he's in the suburbs in this nice house out of nowhere. It, it just... it's. When you speak of his the the actress that played his wife, it's funny mm. because Tom Hanks, at the end of the production, gave mm. everyone on the all of the cast and crew sunglasses and wrote a personalized note for each person on the cast and crew. Okay, and she said that Herno said, "I don't know what you were doing with your character." What like Tom Hanks? Wasn't sure. Is like I don't know what you're doing with this character that you made up, but it was nice working with you. Like he didn't <laughs> understand what she was trying to do. <laughs> we gotta we gotta do our pleasantries first, and then we're gonna get into yes. the the meat and potatoes of this movie for sure. So it's a new week. No more saying elsewhere. Nope. What's been going on with you? What what new things have you experienced? I I. Watched uh, another old Val Luton film. Oh, very good. Another one that I hadn't seen before. And it was? Seventh Victim. The Seventh Victim. Yes. Didn't we watch that in film class in Mr. Callahan's class in high school? I didn't. Uh, I think I did. Anyway, continue. I'm not 100% familiar, so keep going. Yeah, well, just to kind of give you a background on this whole thing, I... probably about six months ago, I was listening to this podcast called The Secret History of Hollywood Shadows. And I told you about this podcast. Yes, I listened to as much as I could before I had to pay for it. You can listen to the whole thing of this one podcast. He has more podcasts that you have to pay for, but this one in its entirety, you can listen to. Oh, good. Okay, good. Because I felt like I kind of dropped off. I didn't, I saw the rest of them you had to pay for. So I was like, ah, 
I haven't paid for a podcast yet. I'm not going to do it now. This is actually the one podcast I pay for. Okay. It's the only one I pay for just because I freaking love this guy's podcast. Out of way, Clarence. <laughs> there we go. But uh, yeah, so the secret history of Hollywood shadows was the one that kind of hooked me. And that's all about the life of Val Luton and his films. And that's kind of what got me into like rewatching some of the films I hadn't seen in forever and watching films for the first time. And The Seventh Victim is one that I had never seen before. So... And it's funny that this movie kind of plays into what we're it does. watching. It does. Now, because... If I remember right. <laughs> yeah. Because it deals with it deals with Satanist and a cult, yeah. A cult and a missing woman. And so and it's funny because that was the one I watched like right before I watched the burbs. And I'm like, oh man, all right, this kind of fits. So <laughs> but yeah, it had a very creepy style that I really liked. Yeah. Uh that movie was is a it's a 1943 film. And I'll just kind of give you the synopsis of it real quick for any of you who might be interested in watching an old flick. After young Mary discovers that her older sister, Jacqueline, has disappeared, she leaves her boarding school and heads to New York City to track down her sibling. Arriving at Jacqueline's apartment, Mary finds ominous signs of trouble. With her sister nowhere in sight, aided by psychiatrist Dr. Lewis Judd, and others, Mary gets drawn deeper into the mystery and evidence begins to point to an involvement in a sinister cult. Amazing. And it's a great film. I loved it. It was absolutely wonderful. So now, where are you finding all the Val Luton films? What streaming service are you using? I'm buying them on Apple. They're only like, they're only like $4.99, $5.99. So I'm like, ah, I'll buy it. So okay. I'm, I'm buying all these films. Well, we're going to have to do something. Maybe we should watch a Val Luton film and talk about it while we're watching it. Heck yeah. I'd love that idea. That'd be fun. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. How about you? So strangely enough, I kind of went in the same direction, not as old, but still an original horror film. Before watching The Burbs, I watched Psycho. Ah. And it kills me how good that movie is i yet you're here talking to us billy yeah i, I mean so we know that you are not dead that's true and i, I think what it get literally what, kill you well came close <laughs> came close i made it through what kills me is how good anthony perkins is in the movie and how sad it is that that kind of pigeonholed him into the role forever forever like he could never break out and like he was in the black hole which is cool but he couldn't get away from the norman bates character you know what i mean yeah he kept playing him over and over again over and over and the first time was the best worse and worse yeah yes but he never changed he was so a fantastic actor he did a lot of stuff that i, I thought was amazing but to kind to kind of reset my brain because usually when i watch something dark i have to watch something light so whenever I watch Dexter, I have to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm right afterwards just to sure. reset everything. So I thought it would be good to watch Psycho and then watch Eric Andre's Bad Trip right afterwards. <laughs> and that movie made me laugh so hard, I thought I broke something inside. That's awesome. It's so terribly inappropriate, but 
fantastically appropriate at the same time that I, I was just, I, I was just like, that was a great night. That made me so happy. You know, so Fantastic. Um, I recommend both movies. If you haven't seen Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, I, I don't even know what dimension you're living in. Right. But watch Psycho, watch Eric Andre's Fat Trip. <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, we've all seen Jackass and things of that sort, you know, like punked and all that. But the deal with his is it's, it's a hidden camera movie with a storyline. But he pulls pranks on unsuspecting civilians. And you get a natural reaction from people on how they would handle a situation. You know, I loved pulling pranks on civilians. Mm -hmm. Remember we used to do that, Billy? Absolutely. <laughs> that is, we just never filmed it. I wish no. we would have filmed it. Yes. But anyway, go ahead. I'm just saying it, it's great. I mean, if, if, if you need some levity in your, your life, it's, it's absolutely inappropriate. I'm going to start that off. There's things in it that you're like, I can't unsee that, but you laughed through 90% of it. So, I mean, yeah. makes it worth it in the end. Laughter makes the world go round. Yes. So if we oh, want to man. keep the world spinning, we got to keep laughing. Exactly. So. With that out of the way, are you ready for some burbs? Let's do it. Let's jump in. Burbs. Let's jump into this. All right. We're starting off with the synopsis for the film. Do it. Settling in for some time off in a suburban home, Ray Peterson's vacation becomes a horror when the Clopex, a suspiciously odd family, move in down the block. Enlisting the aid of his paranoid buddy Art and his militiaman neighbor Rumsfield, Ray sends his son and wife away on a trip while he investigates the Clopex. When a neighbor disappears, Ray and his cohorts risk their lives to save their cul-de-sac from the clutches of evil. <laughs> uh, it's kind of misleading because he doesn't send his family off on the vacation to like... Halfway through. Like, yeah, I, like right before the end of the movie, it's like a, it's like right. three quarters of the way through the movie. Then he sends them off on their vacation. Maybe you guys should leave. <laughs> I mean, he he don't don't get, her, get her, don't get us wrong. He does try because at one point she's calling to make reservations. He's like, yeah, you two get the hell out of here. I'm gonna sit in my robe and do nothing. But yeah, I like it how he's like, I just want to just sit around, be lazy, listen to the ball game, and be lazy. And I'm like. Did people listen to the ball game in the eighties? Or uh, I mean, their TVs did exist. <laughs> they did because he, you, you catch him watching Jeopardy and other things in the actual movie. But yes, he needed to listen to the ball game. All right, just making so sure he I heard it. that right. Yeah, you did. Okay, good. It's funny because in the opening scene, there's a bike riding down the street. What is our deal? It's not a BMX bike, though. No, but I mean, still, I, I noticed it, too. I was like, it's funny how many opening scenes of a movie are on a bike. I'm sorry to like notice this trend of movies opening with bike scenes. Well, we've never really talked about it before, but now that we're watching it, it's like it's popping up all the time. We did one episode about bikes and here we are again. Yeah, exactly. There's a point in the movie when I'm, 
I never noticed this before till honestly this last time. Never okay. noticed it till till now. There's actually a few things because I was actually really paying attention trying to find stuff this yeah. time that I'm watching. I just wasn't watching it just to watch it. Mm-hmm. But it, I noticed Art is at the kitchen table and he's shoving food in his mouth after he try after he almost shoots Ray in the head with the gun. Right. Okay, so he's eating all the food. Like the ribs and stuff. Yeah. All the breakfast. And Carol, Ray's wife, goes walking by with dog food. And I didn't notice this before, but he stuck a sprinkler in it. His head and jumps it in its mouth. <laughs> and then makes a funny face. Like, what is this? What is this shit? And then he watches her go put it in the dog bowl and you see that look of, oh yeah. <laughs> I noticed that. I didn't even that. All of these times I've watched the movie, I never noticed that before. I thought that was hilarious. Dude. Just one of those things. So Art is the type of neighbor that I wish I had, but I, the Kramer I know a of, guy like Art. You really, know a guy like Art. Yes, we do. And I wish he lived close to me. We do know a guy like Art. I wish. Who has gotten us in situations, some shady situations before, <laughs> Billy. You know this. I do. Um... <laughs> He doesn't live next door, but we did have art in our lives. Let's we did. be honest. And we love him dearly we for do. everything he's done. I can't eat Del Taco without thinking about him every time. <laughs> he's the only person I've ever seen that eat a taco without fully opening his mouth. He just shoved it in, <laughs> grinded it on his front teeth. Fantastic. Okay. So, yeah, my wish, is, my wish has come true. I just didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, see? I'm <laughs> today. That's awesome. So uh, I know this sounds dumb, but this is the first time I realized that Joe Dante did this film. What? I mean, I love Inner Space, love the Explorers, love Gremlins. It just never clicked before. Wow! And I'm I was like, shocked. I know, right? I was like, man, this guy. This I, is like such signature Joe Dante. It is, and that's, like, it clicked this time that I was like, this is perfect. This is, like, watching Gremlins. This could be in the same city. This could be later on it in the be. same city. Even with the, the, the same style, the music. I, by the way, I Everything. love the score of this film. I really did. Yes. It's brilliant. It's perfect. And, like, just how quickly it changes from something innocent to them hiding behind garbage cans and watching the Clopex like- dump garbage in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? I've, it's I've never seen that before. I've, I've never seen someone drive their car out of a garage, put a bag in a trash can, and beat the hell out of it. <laughs> I've, I've, never, I've never seen that before. <laughs> yep. But yeah, this time, it made it more fun for me watching it this time, knowing that it's Joe Dante, and it felt like his world. This is like... yeah. His movies have such a, they're like Stephen King books that are all interconnected. It feels like all of his movies are in the same world. They do. Totally. And like Corey Feldman's in the movie and he could be the same Corey Feldman that was playing in Gremlins. Yeah. Grown up now. Yeah. He, he's more apt to look at this stuff because he's seen some crazy shit. So nothing really bothers him. He's ready to see more. You know what I mean? It's like one time the same thing happened to me, except. It was a foamy squirrel. And that could have been a freaking gremlin. I know. I know. Uh, uh, man. 
Yep. <laughs> what? Yeah, I saw something coming out of their house, but it wasn't bees. It was a foaming squirrel. Yeah, love that. Fantastic. Do you know oh, Tom man. Hanks was hesitant about taking this role initially? You were talking about Tom Hanks earlier, but he right. He was hesitant about taking on, even though it was a very different role for him. He, the reason why he didn't want to do it in the first place, because he was playing a dad, something that would take him out of what he was generally known for. This is right. the first time he did anything like this. And he, Hanks was concerned that being cast in this film would prevent him from returning the type of roles that he was playing before. And so he didn't want to do it. At times. But then, obviously, it changed. He accepted the role. But even after he accepted the role, he didn't want to have a son in the film. Like, he didn't want to have a kid. He's, <laughs> he didn't want his character to have a kid. <laughs> Oh, man. He just did not want to play along. And he tried. It's funny because the kid who played his son, he actually tried to, like, get him kicked off the project. Because <laughs> he's like, I don't want a son of this. But Joe Dante is like, no, nah, you're having a kid. And I'm glad they kept it. I mean, the kid didn't play a big role in the movie, but it made sense that Ray, this Ray character had a family going on. So, well, well, yeah. I mean, as a dad, having a kid sometimes adds to the the need for a vacation, like you the, the at home lazy vacation. Because if you're a single guy and you're on vacation, you're out doing something fun. But I mean, you're always doing as a parent, you're always doing something. Like you have to take them to sports. You have to go make sure their schoolwork is done. Yeah. So. When it's vacation time, all you want to do is chill. Yeah. So that exactly. means that completely builds that character. Because why would a single guy or a married guy, just him and his wife, why would you want to stay home and just sit on his butt? Exactly. Exactly. You know? But it's, it's, it's interesting to you. And, I, and the kid who played his son, his name was Corey Danzinger. Mm -hmm. And Hanks literally fought to have his part written out of the script completely. He fought for it. It's probably why this kid was only in one movie. He's yeah. like, that guy didn't want me. Tom Hanks oh. didn't like me. Uh, he was in act again. Right. He did bit roles and he was in Beethoven, but still. Uh, Nobody knows Corey Danzinger. Sorry, Corey. Sorry. Yeah, if you're listening to this, Corey, sorry, but you just didn't sorry. do enough, man. I'm sorry. You just didn't do didn't enough. Mean to throw that much shade on you, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, so he just didn't want him, huh? Yeah. So, just kind of moved on with his life. <laughs> so, we've already talked about, a little bit about Corey Feldman. You know, he went through the Bruce Stern. We love Bruce Stern. Tom Hanks. There was nobody else that could have played that role like Tom Hanks. No, I I really love this. I really love this role for Tom Hanks. His it's, character it's had so much... It's one of my favorite... And I know I keep saying, it's like, one of my favorite roles of this actor or that actor, but seriously, his, for comedic roles, he, yeah. he was, he was awesome in this. And he actually made this movie right after Big. And while they were making this movie, he was nominated for best actor for his role in Big. Mm -hmm. So his, his, his career was about to take off in a huge way. It, 
the Burbs was the last build he did that kind of like before he became, I think the household name, right? Like before he yeah. became ultimate big star that he is today, the Burbs was kind of like the last movie he it's did before he broke into this whole other realm of acting in his career. Now this is like right before Joe versus Joe versus the volcano, right? Like this is in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Still a great movie. I love I that I'm a big fan of his whole career, but yes, the Burbs is one of those ones that if you're going to ask me what my favorite Tom Hanks roles are, that one's going to always come up. Well, because it's just classic Tom Hanks comedy all throughout the movie. Right. And what's great, and you know, we'll kind of get to this later, but a lot of his stuff in this was through, through him ad-libbing his lines. Right. Like there was a lot of just on the spot coming up with lines during the film. Well, and... That's, I think that's what made it more funny is because like that was during the writer's strike, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they had to do a lot of it themselves and he was outstanding. Like, Dude, he's I mean, great. he's, this movie proves that he's freaking awesome at improv. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the cast, if it was any different, it wouldn't be as good. So, yeah. Anyway. Did you know that? Yeah. While they were, while the film was being shot, this is a time where Corey Feldman and Michael Jackson were pretty close knit friends. Okay. Um, I think you mentioned earlier that he had, he had the jacket on. Yeah. The out of place leather jacket with all the studs on it. Yeah. So <laughs> there's that. I, I want that. Uh, it's kind of funny because Jackson never visited the set, mm -hmm. but Feldman would bring bubbles with him to the set. <laughs> Michael Jackson's chimpanzee bubbles to the set with him. That's hilarious. He brought, his, he brought the freaking chimpanzee to work. Right. Which, it, I mean, if you can't have kept, Michael Jackson, it's the next best thing. He kept him in his trailer trip. while he was shooting. And <laughs> apparently the chip would poop all over his trailer. Yeah. That makes there is sense. A, right? He's probably throwing it all over the place. That's what you get for bringing a chimpanzee to work. It ended up becoming such a big problem that Dante banned Bubbles from the set. <laughs> Poor monkey. He's just doing what he does best. During a Reddit AMA, a user asked uh, the director if he had any funny stories to share from the set of the burps. Mm -hmm. And that's when he talked about the... the uh, Bubbles. He said, well, there was the time that Michael Jackson's chimp Bubbles visited Corey Feldman and pooped all over the trailer. If that qualifies as funny. That's awful. I love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And also during that same AMA, the uh -huh. director talked about what it was like during the shooting, uh, what the atmosphere of Hollywood was like at the time. Because there was a writer's strike going on while this uh -huh. movie was in production. Right. And he says, we were the only picture shooting on the lot during the writer's strike of 1988. And a lot of the funniest stuff in it was ad-libbed by the cast. But at the same time, one thing he missed 
is that Fletch Lives was also shooting on the lot at the same time. Oh, that's funny. So you had the birds and Fletch shooting on the lot. That's cool. I like but Fletch. It's, it is interesting, though, because since there was a writer's strike going on, none of the writers could give advice or write anything uh, while the film was being shot. So they just left it up to the cast to just riff off of each other and ad lib and just go with what they felt would might be funny and whatever, you know, obviously what they did totally worked. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a great movie. So, I mean, you don't have people like Tom Hanks or Bruce Stern in a movie and not expect them to do at least a little something to make it funny. Yeah. So like one of the examples was uh, just of kind of the ad lib moments when Rumf when Rumsfeld rips the Clopex wallpaper off, like yeah. you know, he's picking it, yeah, like tears it off. Uh, that idea came from Brewster. It's like uh, and he's like trying to push, push it back up, push it back up. <laughs> uh, something we've all wanted to do. Well, because I've done it. I've done it too. You go, with, you see something sticking out, you just start like picking at it. Then you're just like, oh, oh, got it. Shh. Oh, sh shit. Oh, I gotta fix this. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Another another one, the guy who played Art, uh, Rick DeCummin, he ad-libbed a lot of his lines to the film, including the famous one, Satan is good. Satan is her pal. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm like, I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is her pal. <laughs> Chanting Ray. Once they uh, get in here. <laughs> it's fantastic. That's, that's one of those things I kind of quote just Random. because. Yeah. yeah. Just a ra randomly, I'll just. And it kind of weirds people out because I'll just start saying, I want to kill everyone. Satan's good. Satan's a pal. <laughs> and people are just looking at me like, what the hell? I mean, it's everything to keep us. And I have to explain to them that they have to go watch the burbs. Because if they don't know what that's Which from, that's something wrong in right. the world. The movie was also shot in sequence, by the way. Oh, nice. very few films are shot in sequence, but the Burbs was one of them. Well, I mean, I, I think it works because for you, you see Tom Hanks slowly get obsessed and slightly go insane trying to figure out what's going on in the Klopex house. It makes sense to shoot this movie in sequence. Right. By the way, the scene where Tom Hanks, after he gets blown up at the end, and he's all freaking oh frustrated. Gosh. He picks up the gurney and he throws it. And he's like, take me to the hospital. I've been blown up. <laughs> Trying to get the oxygen on his face. That was all, that was all ad-lib. Oh, yeah, that's like, and out of all the scenes, I could say that about all the scenes. But yes, that is one of the most memorable scenes for me is the, the ambulance scene. Yeah. <laughs> get me out of here. I've been blown up. Oh, take me to the hospital. I've been blown up. Did you happen to watch any behind the scenes stuff on this or any alternate footage or endings or scenes or stuff? No, because the only way I could find it 
I, I have an empty DVD case of the Burbs. I don't know where the DVD is. Okay. So I watched it on Apple, and it didn't include any behind the scenes. Okay. I kind of just did a deep dive on the internet and found a, found some a couple interesting things. One of us. You're smarter than me. Yes. <laughs> what? One of them involved Corey Feldman. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a behind-the-scenes clip, and he's on the set, and it's where you've got the the trash men out there, and you've got Ray and Art and Rumsfeld all arguing about the trash and stuff, right? Uh-huh. So the clip is right before they're filming. It's kind of a behind-the-scenes B-roll footage is Feldman's goofing around right before they start shooting and he's doing a little song and he's doing a little dance, just kind of being silly. Right. Uh And character actor, Dick Miller, who played, who played one of the trash men. Uh He was so frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) And you can hear him on the tape say, shut the fuck up, kid. We tried to do some acting. And, and he was dead serious. And Feldman was kind of, you see Feldman like in shock and kind of like, what the hell? And then he like, kind of like steps up to him. Like he's like ready to fight, like, like with his chest puffed out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, he, and then he like kind of steps back and then looks at Tom Hanks and kind of like whack, smiles at him. And then that's where the clip ends. Uh-huh. But he's, He's just messing around, but it was very interesting to see these two very different type of actors playing against each other, playing, you know, acting together. Right. But you have these these guys playing these trash men and, uh, and Dick Miller just being very serious about his work and Corey Felder just being very playful about it. It's really kind of an interesting dynamic to see the two op- complete opposites clashing on set like that. Well, and the funny thing is, is that I don't know if you know much about Dick Miller, but Dick Miller is also from Gremlins that yeah. Corey Feldman was in. Yeah. He was Mr. Futterman. Yeah. So they've already acted together with each other. You know, it's, I don't know, maybe as he got older, he got more annoying to Dick Miller or what? No idea. <laughs> But yeah, maybe Dick Miller didn't like him in Gremlins either. <laughs> Who knows? It's, it's like, oh, oh shit, I got to work with this kid again. <laughs> oh, man. I don't well, know. That's funny. I can just see him saying that. I have to check this out. I can, I can hear him saying it. In my- yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of amusing. It's kind of amusing. Felton was actually going through some major issues during this movie with with drugs and stuff, he was kind of going down this path where, you know, it could have taken him into some big trouble, which I guess he kind of did get into some trouble. He's always, yeah, when he became a teenager, he kind of became a troublemaker at that point, yeah. Yeah. So he was having issues with substance abuse, and it became such a concern that Dante and Carrie Fisher, who was also very open about her issues, uh, they sat down with Feldman and Feldman explained in an interview saying that Fisher and Joe sat down with them. And he said, mm-hmm. we had a very serious 
they had a very serious talk with me because at the time I was just about headed over the edge, mm-hmm. postcards from the edge. And right. it was right there and they could see it. She was very, she was a very smart lady. She was very sober at the time. And she looked at me in the eyes and she was like, Corey, let's be serious. You don't have to BS me. I can see what you're doing. I know what you're doing just to be, just be honest with yourself. And so they sat down and they had like a open talk about it, kind of wanted to help him get back on the right path because he was obviously, he was obviously headed down the wrong road, wrong road. Yeah. It's, it was good that he had somebody stable, somebody who was going through, had already been through it, talk to him about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love Corey Feldman as an actor. Like those 80s films he did were amazing. He was so fun to watch all the time. And it Mm. makes me wonder what his career might have looked like now had he stuck on the right path. Had he had he really committed himself to his career and growing it instead of going the direction that he went. I can't help but think that things would have been so much better for him in the end. Now people look at him, he's kind of like people laugh at him. Right. He's out there, he's out there trying to do good, you know, and he's out Mm -hmm. there trying to make, you know, make a living for himself, make an honest living for himself. And he's clean and sober now and he's doing all the right things, but you can't help but think, man, what if he would have done that from the beginning? Right. What his career would have looked like. I can't help but think he would have been like still one of these guys that would just keep getting these great roles all the time. Right. I mean, the kid can act. I mean, it's obvious that if you watch Stand By Me that, you know, one of the great roles. Well, we'll eventually talk about that. But yeah, I mean, the kid was a great actor. It's just sometimes our paths get diverged by different stuff. So it's yeah. sad, but, you know, at least we get classics like this from him. Exactly. Exactly. Kind of get back to the lighter point. Right. <laughs> right. Back to the burbs. Let's go. There's a scene in the Clopex house. Okay. Another Bruce classic Bruce Stern moment where he's fascinated by one of Dr. Clopex's paintings and he keeps like trying to shift it around. <laughs> right. To get like, what's the perspective of this? I don't understand what is happening here. The painting is actually of the point of view of a patient being operated on by surgeons, which is kind of a creepy image. Yeah. And that painting appeared before this, it actually appeared in an opening sequence of an early episode of Rod Serling's night gallery in 1969. Oh, that's cool. Now I have to go find it out. Yeah. And that one out. It's pretty awesome. That's awesome. It's one of those little hidden gems. Like, in the filming of The Wizard of Oz, when they were looking for an old ratty coat for the movie, they went to just a local thrift shop and found a coat. And they're like, oh, this is perfect. And when they look at the tag inside, it was actually L. Frank Baum's coat, the author of the book. You know what I mean? Yeah, So yeah. all these l- little things, this is why we do this podcast. We want to find this kind of stuff out. But I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Because Rod Serling, yep. Joe Dante, director of the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah. You know, it's... That's cool. And then also another little thing that was kind of hidden in there was the Clopex had this giant ass dog, a great game. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you keep a horse in the basement? 
uh, the dog's name in the film was Landrew, which uh, was named after the notorious French serial killer, Henry, Henry Landrew. So, yeah, just I mean, little things like that. I mean, I'm sure there's more. I mean, there's there's tons of stuff in this movie. There's also in the Clopex house, there's a sled in the house with the name Rosebud on it. <laughs> in reference to Citizen Kane. So there's another one right there. There's like That's a awesome. lot of Easter eggs in that house if you look. And there's more. I'm sure there's more if you look hard, hard it up. These are just a few that have been found, but I think there's more in there. So remember the scene where Ray is just flipping through the channels on his TV? Yes. Okay. So he's flipping through the channels and he 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 go, comes across three horror movies: Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Exorcist, uh-huh. and another film called Race with the Devil. First of all, how have you ever flipped through a TV in a single setting and came across these three horror films playing at the exact same time? No, especially in the eighties. What three channels are playing those horror movies? At the same time. Right. And it's obviously not Halloween. So why just mid-year, spring, summer, why would you be playing three horror films like that? Exactly. And out of the three horror films, the only two I've seen are The Exorcist and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I have not seen Race with the Devil. And I had to look it up to get information on it because I was curious about what the movie was about. Because it's, I've never seen it. It's a 1975 film. It stars Peter Fonda, mm-hmm. and it follows a guy named Roger and his friend Frank and their wives as they're headed on a road trip from San Antonio to the wilderness of rural Texas for some off-road okay. motocross, okay? Okay. What they find instead is a satanic cult sacrifice, and they are unfortunate enough to be caught observing the ritual. Naturally, this doesn't sit too well with the cult members. So now Roger and Frank are on the run from what is apparently a very sizable Texan Satanist community. And now I have to watch this movie. Yes. It's going to fit in. It's just like a prequel to what we were watching in the Burbs. It really is. Yep. So funny. It's like, and it's interesting because I saw the movie when I was a kid and there's that image of the, it's all blurred in the film. Like the nudity is blurred in the film. But as a kid, yeah. you, it's almost like you you don't remember the blurness. You just remember the nudity. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's interesting when you go back and watch it as an adult, you're like, oh, that was blurred? Weird. I could have swore. Oh, well. Yeah. They, well, they had to keep it PG so they couldn't show any ratings like that. Or any uh, nudity like that. Yep. That's funny, though. Yes, we definitely have to watch Race with the Devil. Now. Yeah, that'll be fun to watch for the first time. So I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that. It's on my list and it's on my list to watch soon. Now, before all the neighbors go over to the Klopex house to formally meet them, uh-huh. Carrie Fisher's character says, before someone falls off a roof or sets themselves on fire, why don't we get to know him, right? Right, right, right. So what's so funny about this <laughs> foreshadowing yeah. is that 
Rumsfeld ends up falling off of a roof and Ray sets himself on fire. fire. Yep. So she knew exactly what was going to happen. Well, she thought it, said it as a joke, but yes. Yeah, no, she, it was, I knew she thought it was a joke, but she should have felt better. <laughs> right when you started saying that, I was like, wait, both of those things happened. Yep. What I love, yeah, you know, one of the other things I love about this movie uh-huh. is the characters, at least all the male characters, they all act like children. They all, they all have Absolutely. this childlike uh, personality to them. Right. Where they're all like kids. And we, you know, sometimes you get like that, though, as an adult. When you're, like, excited about something and you're exploring things. You know what I mean? Well, I'm with you, dude. And that's the best part, like, is you can see each and every... We all had friends like this. Like, Art was, like, the super goofy, you know, acting not scared. Like, he's the bravest one. He's going to do it. And then you have Rumsfeld, who's, like well, we're going to do this tactically. We both know who that is in our life. Yep. The tactical master. <laughs> we got to think this through. And then there's Ray, who's like, I'm going to be the adult here. I'm going to try to, you know, think logically, but then gets drawn into the chaos anyway. Yeah, which is kind of like me. Yes. That's... <laughs> Guys, I don't think we should really do this. But let's do it. Let's do it. You're right. We, gotta see. we have to see. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Well, we have to see what's going on. I mean, why wouldn't we? Uh, uh, but even that, even that scene where Carol's got Ray, he's, he's like, you know, he's grounded, right? Mm-hmm. He can't come out to play. And they're like, right. please, Carol, please let him come out and play. <laughs> uh, I really hate to say it, but I think I'm the art of the group. And, and art, and it's funny because art, like, kind of like, kicks the ground right and rumsill shoves his hands in his pockets as he turns away and just kind of bows his head and walks away with <laughs> shame this is a great just a great dynamic between all three characters i love right. that i love the whole child aspect of these grown men right because it never goes away it, it never goes away it's, <laughs> it never goes away. it's so true and then you have like, oh. like you know what what grown man would wear two wristwatches? <laughs> right? Kids like to wear two wristwatches. Yeah. Say that five times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Two but, wristwatches. Two wristwatches. But Art, when they're breaking into the, when they're breaking into the, to uh, Walter's, when they're at Walter's porch trying to get into his house, right. for some reason, He's wearing two wristwatches. What? Why? What is the point of that? And they well, never, and it's one of those things that's never mentioned. It's just right. like, I'm wearing two wristwatches just because. Yeah. Maybe, and this is getting into the like deeper side of it, maybe one of them is the time of his wife who's gone on vacation, just so he can remember what time it is where she's at. Just, that's a great theory. I love yeah. that theory. See, that's that's where we're going. Nice. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Now I have to go watch the movie again. You didn't notice it? Oh, no, no, now I have to I have to watch it to see that. Uh, just a couple other things. When Art falls off of the telephone pole and onto the shed, 
there's a sound effect that plays of bowling balls knocking a strike down. Of course. So if you listen, just kind of the just kind of a random thing, right? I mean, it wouldn't be the eighties without something like that. So some random sound effect in there. Exactly. Also, one thing in the Clopex house, there's a shadow of a noose on a wall over Uncle Ruben's right shoulder at one mm-hmm. point. Just okay. things like that. Just the noose hanging there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. The trash that Art and Rumsfeld throw into the street mm-hmm. remains there for the rest of the filth. <laughs> Do you remember that? It never yep. leaves that trash. They're looking for the body. Once it's poured, once it's poured out onto the street, it's never leaving. You just have cars constantly just running over it throughout the film. <laughs> Naturally, because you don't think Art was going to pick it up himself. They're the garbage men right there. They should pick it up. Yep. <laughs> Walter's pet poodle Queenie. Yes. In the movie. Mm-hmm. That was the same dog that played Precious in The Silence of the Lambs. Wow. Yep. That dog has a better movie or career than I do. <laughs> That's something to think about. Carrie Fisher wore a wig in the movie. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know why, because when she removed the wig, her mm-hmm. hair looked exactly the same underneath. So she would take it off on her break and the cast couldn't tell the difference between the wig and the hair she really had. So why didn't she just keep her hairstyle, Billy? Why? Because she's a famous actor and that's what she needed to feel like she was in that role. I guess. I guess. I don't know. I really, that was as good as I could get on that one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That was it. And I'm spent. <laughs> so the birds was shot on the Universal lot. Yes. And it's actually when I, I, when you go on the tour, on the Universal mm-hmm. Studios tour, they always take you past a block of houses that they call Colonial Street. Right. And this is the street that they filmed the birds on. The same block that they shot the film on was used in Desperate Housewives. It was like the main street on that. Uh, uh-huh. The home of the Munsters was on the street. It was used in E.T., the extraterrestrial. It was used in Poltergeist. It was used in Gremlins. It was used in, in the Explorers. It was used in the Monster Squad. Oh, I love the Monster Squad. The house where Ricky Butler lived, the one where he's like, for some reason he's painting the house. And right. he's not very good at it. No. He's got paint splashing all over the place. At one point, he's got red paint on it. Right. What's going on here? Anyway. I'm going to be back till Thursday, so whatever. I guess. Yeah. That house was the house that the Munsters was filmed at. That was the Munsters' house. Nice. Uh, Tom Hanks' house in the film, the one where Tom Hanks lived, that was the Leave it to Beaver hole. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yep. I like it. Thought that was yeah. That's a fun street. Like anytime you go on the Universal tour, you go down there. But just... I can't wait to get to Colonial Street. It's going to be so cool to see where they filmed the burps. Right. And, but it looks exactly the same. Like, granted, I haven't been on it in like ten years, but I mean, the, the last time I was there, the street looks exactly the same. It's changed, Billy. I'm sorry to Does say. Does it really? Yeah. Doesn't look. That's the a bunch same. of crap. Doesn't look the same anymore. Doesn't look like it's from the '80s. 
Everything's been updated. Updated. Oh, it's a shame. Oh well. Oh well. Let's talk about cereal now. Oh, I love cereal. Who doesn't? So there's a box of gremlin cereal in the movie. Right. Don't know if you noticed that. I noticed that. Okay. Yes. Obviously, Dante directed Gremlins, so that was a kind of a cool little right. callback. Absolutely. Later on, we see a cereal called Freakies. Cereal Freakies? Freakies? No. You but don't? I, no, but I like, I, I, somewhere in the back of my mind when they're eating it, watching Jeopardy, I was like, how do I not know that? I was like, I f- it feels familiar, but I don't remember it. I, I remember at one point, I was like, I wasn't sure if it was real or not, but uh, then it was. It's, it was. Freakies is a real cereal. That cereal really existed. And it's funny, right before uh, we did the podcast, I mm-hmm. thought I'd look it up just to, just to see if I could find any information on it. Right. And so... The first thing that pops up is there's a factory sealed original box of 1985's Freakies going for sale on eBay for $870. <laughs> well, I mean, the box has a uh, coupon inside for freeing Reese's pieces. Fantastic. So I'm wondering if you buy the box. And you open it, and you get the free coupon out. Can you still get the free Reese's Pieces? This is like our own personal Ready Player One. <laughs> we must accomplish this goal. <laughs> Someone give us 800 bucks to buy a box of Freakies, please. <laughs> That's awesome. That just made my day. Thank you, sir. You are welcome. At one point in the film, Ray shows Carol the book on satanic rituals that he's reading. Uh-huh. And he had a theory that the Clopex have taken Walter for a human sacrifice. Carol says to Ray, I wouldn't have missed this for the world. A week vacation in Jonestown. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, this is a dark reference to the tragedy of the Jim Jones group, People's right. Temple Cult, where 900 people drank the Kool-Aid. Man. Yeah. Dark, and it, dark, it was it was a dark line dark, tonight. Dark jokes. Yeah. But hey, Lee. the 80s. You're right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I heard that and I was like, oh, yeah. But I mean, it's true. It happened and we're dealing with cults here, so. Yep. That's one of the most famous. And the original script for the film. Mm-hmm. Ray was supposed to be killed by Dr. Klopek. Wow, really? He was going, yeah, he was originally supposed to die. That changed when they cast Hanks. When Hanks joined the film, they're like, all right, we're not going to kill him. The studio didn't think the audience would appreciate witnessing his death on screen. They, they didn't think that anyone wanted to see Tom Hanks die. So the ending was rewritten before the writer's strike, obviously. Right. But it would have been a much darker film had Hank's character died at the end. That's kind of weird. I I can't even imagine Uh, the film with Hank's being killed off. Yeah, I don't like it. Like, 
it stops it, being a comedy at that point. It exactly, exactly. It, it's not funny at that point. Yep. You know, because I mean, now we can look back at it and laugh. But if he were to die in the explosion at the end, it'd be like, or to be killed by uh, Doctor Klopek. Eh. Then it's a horror film. So while they didn't want to kill off Tom Hanks in this movie, mm-hmm. there are a few other films that thought it would be okay to kill off Tom Hanks. <laughs> so those movies include Philadelphia. Yes. Saving Private Ryan. Uh-huh. Road to Perdition. The Lady Killers. Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Yeah. And Cloud Atlas. Which I've never seen. And and then technically his character did die in a league of their own. Well, yeah. I don't show him dying, but Mm-mm. his character, by the end of the movie, his character was dead. Right. Yeah, yeah. Nice little tribute to him in the in the museum. I guess I need to see a few of those because I haven't seen them. I have not seen Road to Perdition or Cloud Atlas, so I need to fix that. Uh, mm-hmm. There were alternate endings that were shot for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, you remember the bones that were discovered in the trunk of the Clopex car, right? Okay. Well, real quick before we kind of get into some deleted scene stuff, I noticed something again for the first time in this in in this scene where Feldman finds the bones in the back of the car, mm-hmm. right before he pulls the blanket off of him that's covering him. Mm-hmm. The blanket pushes up and raises on its own. What? Yeah. It's really weird. And I was watching it with my wife. I'm like, wait, did you see that? The blanket moved. She's like, yeah, it totally did. So you see the blanket move up right before the big reveal comes. It's like, were the skeletons coming to life? I don't know. It was really weird. It's kind of a weird thing that I never noticed before. I didn't even notice. Now I have to go back and see it. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, there was also a deleted scene that included dead cheerleaders uh-huh. and the garbage men were going to be found dead. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I like them. They were funny. Apparently the, they the were, didn't feel the that dead cheer, the, the dead cheerleaders and the garbage men were going to be found dead in the truck of the car. Oh, instead of the bones? Yeah. Oh, okay. I got you. Then they just decided, I ah, will just put the bones in there. Right. So, one of the other deleted scenes, which you can actually watch, it's about six minutes long. It's really disjointed. And I'm totally glad that they t- did go with this scene because it was just kind of all over the place. Uh-huh. At the end of the scene, at the, at, in the final scene, it, it showed, and after, after Tom Hanks throws himself into the, ambulance and is like take me to the hospital a mm-hmm. dr klopek is in there and starts trying to starts trying to kill him okay and art carol runsfield they all end up going to the ambulance and opening up the doors and seeing klopek trying to physically kill him so uh, they catch him in the act which i think oh. was interesting yeah Later on, when he's being, when Klofek's getting arrested, uh-huh. and when they open the door and they find him there, uh, Dr. Klofek looks at him and is like, sometimes I just get a little carried away. 
He's like, sorry, I'm trying to kill this man. Sometimes I just can't help it. <laughs> That's awesome. Later on, when he's being arrested, he's telling, he's, uh, he's like talking to, uh, he's talking to Ray and he's saying that he felt awkward that he tried to kill him. Mm -hmm. It's like, I felt a little awkward trying to kill you. <laughs> what? what? I had a really nice time the other night right. with you. I hope we could do it again sometime. <laughs> right. What is happening right now? And as he's being like carted away by the cops, he's explaining why he moved to the suburbs. He's saying, the quiet. I moved here for the quiet, the privacy, the good life, the convenient <laughs> shopping. <laughs> and Hans is like, Hans, Hans, you Hardly says a word in the movie. Yes. At the Barely end, at, at this end thing, he's, he's talking more than he's talked in the entire film. Right. And at one point he says, it's true. No one ever said anything in LA. <laughs> oh man. You know, they're just looking for the, uh, the good life, man. They want to kill people in the peace and quiet of the suburbs while having some good shopping in the area. And then the other guy, brother. Yes. He's all, it's a shame. <laughs> we were looking forward to having you over for our last barbecue. <laughs> that actually made it into the film, I think. Yeah, it Into did. the final cut of the film. Yeah. But it, it, still, it still made me laugh. Like <laughs> they were going to eat them. Right. So, yeah, it's funny. Oh, and man. also... One of the things in the movie is mm. when is when uh, Klopek is trying to kill Tom Hanks, mm -hmm. and he's got the needle in his hand. Yeah, and he's shaking it violently, like <laughs> you looked in my furnace, didn't you? <laughs> surely, <laughs> surely you saw one of my skulls. But now, my uh, furnace is uh, it's, a, it's a man's business, like that. But his hand starts to shake violently with the needle as it's moving towards Ray. And it's like, dude, calm down. You're a doctor. You're supposed to have these steady hands, right? Yep. If you're going to, if you're going to inject him with a toxin, at least like, you know, be slick about it. Nah, he was upset. Obviously. How dare you look in someone's furnace? Silly. <laughs> Silly Klopek. Oh. There's actually a major subplot in the film as well mm. that is only featured in the film's work print version. Okay. You can't even, I tried to find this online. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. But in the work print version of the film, we learned why Ray is on vacation. Okay. So after all the events have happened, after the arrests are made at the Klopex, after everything is all said and done, the house is smoldering whatever carol walks with ray where he's going to confess something to her mm -hmm. and she immediately interrupts him saying that he'd been fired from his job to his surprise she had known all the time mm -hmm. and didn't say anything so he had been fired from his job he's not on vacation he's jobless at this point right oh which Kind of makes sense. It's yeah, and you can see some of the elements 
are kind of still evident in the film. Cause at one yeah. point in one point in the final cut of the film, Carol states that he's, that he's stressed and he would go back to work in a worse shape than he uh, was already in staying up late to spy on the Klopex with Rumsfeld and art. And in particular, uh-huh. the third and final ending where he says he's going on vacation to Corey Feldman for another week, which would mm-hmm. seem odd since he was already on vacation to begin with. Right. So, well, there's, there's things there. He's a proud man. He didn't want anybody to know. Can you just, even if you did have a real job, can you, can you like take a week off and be like, I'm going to take another week. Does it uh, work that not way? where I work. Yeah. So no. you'd have to be fine. You'd have to be jobless. Right. Uh, a couple other little observations that mm-hmm. I made while watching the film. In one scene, Ray mm-hmm. is watching an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. That. <laughs> 30 yep. years later, Tom Hanks would play Fred Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Right. It's kind of a little fun little observation. Another one. Yeah. Uh, before climbing the fence to investigate the Klopex backyard, Art dresses up as a power line technician and cuts the power to disable the security system. Uh-huh. And he ends up disabling the whole power in the neighborhood. Right. At least that's what Ricky Butler said. Oh, Ricky Butler. In the movie (laughs) Die Hard, Uh, the same actor played a power line worker for the city who was ordered by the FBI to disable the power from uh, Nakatomi Tower. See, he was on vacation, too, for cutting the power of the Nakatomi Tower. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's stuck at home while everybody else vacations. Yep. I like it. But that's it. Those Those are kind of things that that we were able to find on Burbs. Did you find anything else that I might have missed? No, you pretty much hit all, all of them on the head. I thought like the, the bowling sound was a little silly and I wanted to bring that up, but I didn't know about the, that he was fired uh, yeah. subplot. And I was going to kind of mention that. I was like, he's acting like, you know, he's got nothing to lose in the situation. Like Tom Hanks does some things that most normal people wouldn't do. So that makes a lot of sense that, that, because as a father, you don't take chances like that. You don't go breaking into other people's houses and things of that sort. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's definitely the the mindset of somebody who's really at the end of their rope and trying to find something to a childlike state. Right. <laughs> yep. So yeah, no, it was. You know, when she throws those tant- tantrums where he like squeezes the cans and yeah. throws them off the crowd, <laughs> like, <"Argh."> <laughs> yeah, and. Oh, we didn't even talk about one of the most classic classic scenes in the movie. What did we forget? Ray, this is Walter. (laughs) (laughs) There's really nothing nothing, like new about that scene, but it is a classic movie. The scream, (laughs) the scream on it, the the, the in and out um, effects of the camera. It's so silly and I love it for its silliness. And I, I love the threatening note. I always love that. The Walter, I have your dog. This <laughs> just doesn't explain anything. Just Walter, I have your dog. Yeah, that was a fun movie. Oh, okay. yeah. One more thing. One more thing that I noticed. There are two characters uh, that fall through the porch of the Klopex house. The okay. first art walks right. up onto the porch 
and his foot smashes through yeah, right before through. the bees come out, right? Yeah. And then later on, uh-huh. Rumsfeld, who's carrying the brownies, his foot goes through on the other side, and he drops the bat. There go the goddamn brownies. Brownies. <laughs> and, yeah. and that is my favorite quote of the movie. <laughs> so I always pick a quote, and that's the one oh, that I'm choosing man. because I, every time I hear it, I laugh my ass off. Oh, man. A, a freaking run sealed. There God, the goddamn rams. Oh, man. Because <laughs> that's what he's worried about. <laughs> that, like, he cares. Yeah. And, and then he hands, and then he hands the... He hands them the brownies, like they got all the crap all over him. And he's like, mm-hmm. here, here you go. Dessert. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, man. So one of my favorites is also a Bruce Dern quote in it. Okay. It's when they're talking to Dr. Or when they're talking to the, the Klopex and he's all, Klopex, what's that? Slavic? No. Well, about a nine out of ten on the tension scale, there, Rube. Okay, okay, but you got it, dude. You got, you got to do brothers thing. So, so, so you say, you say, uh, yes. So okay, let, yeah, let, yeah. Let's act this out here. Let's act this out. Klopek, um, what's that? Slavic? No. <laughs> well, about a nine out of ten on the tension scale, there, Rube. <laughs> it's, it's such a great line. Yeah. So now. <laughs> and now, which would have been the line itself, but no one would have really understood that one. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Oh, man. Well, guys, thank you for listening to us once again. We really haven't discussed what we're going to do for our next episode. What it's going to we... be a surprise. Surprise movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, trust me, we have movies lined up for, for days. We're just going to we're going to hit you with something good, though. You just don't know what we're doing. So it's yep. going to be a surprise thank you all for listening please listen subscribe let everybody know write us some comments we really love doing this we want you guys to love it as much as we do please let us know what we can improve or what um what you'd like to hear about yeah thanks for listening everybody all right thank you so much guys bye-bye bye-bye no Oh, man. <laughs>